Isaiah chapter 63, in all our afflictions. Starting in verse 1, who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments, this one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? Who is this? So God shows Isaiah this picture, this vision of, of, of this one coming, coming from Edom, where, uh, we'll see how very apropos in this area, with dyed garments. So sees this, it's coming, dyed garments. John the Revelator sees a very similar picture as well. He's coming in glorious apparel. So even though he's dyed, even though his garments are dyed, they are glorious. They are fine linen, beautiful linen, and dyed, and traveling, in greatness of his strength, maybe coming swiftly or mightily, or as depicted in Revelation, coming on a mighty white horse, coming in his strength, coming in greatness of his strength. That's what Isaiah sees. And God showed Isaiah a lot of things. God showed Isaiah, we saw in, in the early chapter, in the early chapter, was it chapter 3 or 4, where he sees God high and lifted up, sitting on his throne, Hears the seraphim around him saying, Holy, holy, and the temple shaking. God now shows Isaiah another beautiful vision here of one coming and coming. Beautiful apparel, the greatness of his strength. Yet his beautiful apparel is dyed. And in verse 2, the answer comes back, Who is this? So he asks, Who is this? And the answer comes back, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Amen. Our righteous one, our Savior, the one who is mighty to save. And so he's coming, he's coming. Isaiah sees him coming, coming in his righteousness, coming in the might of his glory coming in the might of his strength, coming in his fine robe of righteousness, coming in his perfection, coming to this earth, and coming to save. And he's mighty to save. In verse 2, why is your apparel red, and your garments like he who treads in the winepress? In the area of Edom, where he said he's coming from, had great vineyards. Why are you coming? Why is your apparel red? It's beautiful apparel, fine apparel. Coming in your strength of your might, the greatness of your power. Why is your garment red? As if those who tread grapes, of course, in those days, they would tread grapes. We've seen as we've gone to Israel. Uh, actual uh, wine presses of those days where they bring the harvest, bring the grapes from the vineyards. Right in Nazareth, there's a location where, where an actual wine press is still there. Right outside, right, right next to tiered um, gardens where they had vineyards. They would just take the grapes right from there and then just put them on the limestone and chiseled into the limestone, a wine press, 
would come together, the people from the village would all come together and stomp the grapes with their feet. And they'd have to take off their shoes and barefoot in this wine press, rejoicing in the harvest. No doubt, I imagine going from farm to farm, all the various people in the farm helping each other in the harvest and rejoicing together. And as they would stomp the grapes, the, the grape juices splattering, and the, the red grape juices splattering on the garments, making it red. Why is your apparel red? Like when we tread the grapes. I have trodden the wine press alone. Again, it's strange because, again, that would be a corporate thing, a community thing. I have tread the wine press alone. And from the people, no one was with me. And Messiah has come, and he has trodden the wine press alone. Alone, all his disciples fled from him. Alone, he went to Calvary. Alone he was taken. And it's only in his righteousness, it's only in his mighty power to save that salvation has been given to us. In his righteousness, he is the only mighty one to save. He is the only one who is righteous. He is the only one who could come and save us. And so I have come and I've trodden the winepress alone. There's nothing we can add to his righteousness. There's nothing we can add to his salvation. There's nothing we can add to what he's done for us. He has done it for us by himself. We can receive it. We can appreciate it. We can be thankful for it. We can experience it. But it's him and him alone that saves us. It's him and him alone, the one who comes, who is righteous. The one who is comes in the greatness of his might. The one and the only one who has the fine apparel that was dipped in blood. In his own blood that he shed for us, in dying for us, because his garments are red in the blood. There's one reason one aspect. I've come and I've trodden the wine press alone. Disciples said, we'll never run, we'll never flee, we'll never forsake you. And at the first sight of guards, panicked, fearful, and as he was taken away out of the Garden of Gethsemane, another type of pressing place, not a wine press, not a grape press, but an olive press, the bottom of the Mount of Olives, where olive trees grow, and down at the base where the press was. Well, an olive press is different than a, a wine press, and a wine press is something, something great with their feet, but an olive press, a huge stone pegs through it that would be turned in this large stone basin and crush these 
olive, Gethsemane means the place of crushing. Crushing of the wine, the crushing of the olive. And crush it under. Remove that stone, take a strong man or several men or, or, or donkeys to pull it around and around and around and crush the olive and press it down. Press it till the olive oil comes out. Now the reason for the grapes to be pressed with the feet and the olives to be pressed with the stone is the seed of the grape is bitter. So when you crush it with a, with a stone, then the bitterness is going to go into the juice and ruin the flavor. But with the olive, the pit has oil in it as well. So you want to, that's a crush as well. You want to get the oil out of the pit as well. And so our Messiah's garment is red as the one stomping on the grapes. The Bible describes sometimes the juice, the blood of the grapes wine fresh, the fruit of the vine, fresh, the blood of the grape. His blood sacrificed for us. But his soul crushed under in the on olive press in the garden of Gethsemane. Pressed down for us. Trodden under for us. And they all forsake him. They all go running Mark is in such a hurry to, to get out of there. When they grab a hold of his garments, he takes off and leaves his garments behind. Why does he run away naked? He ran and all forsook him. And all we, as Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray as well. He only is worthy of our praise. He only is the one who can help us in our time of need. He and he alone can deliver us in our present troubles, in our present afflictions, and in our salvation for the world to come. Verse 3 continues, he says, I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments. I have stained all my robes. Now in this aspect, he's describing the crushing and destruction of the wicked. Revelation gives us very, very similar picture as well. Talks about a wine press. Grapes are taken for the harvest. Some grapes are come and the harvest comes in and the good grapes are taken and put into the barns. Then the sickle goes through again in Revelation 14. The sickle goes through a second time and takes the not good grapes and crushes them under and crushes them so high up to the horse's bridle. Crushing and destroying. Separating of the good grapes from the bad grapes. Trodden them in my anger, trampled them in my fury. And their blood, he's done this also, and will do this also alone. Not with our help. He doesn't call upon us to battle. He doesn't call upon us to fight. He doesn't call us to determine who is righteous and who is not, who is saved and who is not. 
and call us to be judging people's salvation now and determining that their probation is closed, that they've hardened their hearts, that they've committed the unpardonable sin, and that it's our job to take them out. He has trodden the winepress alone. He says, I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. The day of God's wrath has come. And their blood is sprinkled upon my garments. That when he comes, he comes in his wrath. He comes as judge to judge, to separate the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, the good grapes from the bad grapes take the good into his barn and can destroy the wicked. And their blood are grapes sprinkled on his garments and stains all of his robes. His fine linen, his righteous robes were stained not so much by their blood but so much by their sin. So much by our choices that we have stained that we have pierced him through, that we have caused his sorrow, that we have caused his great sacrifice. Verse 4, For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redemption has come. So here again we have this, this duality taking place. The destruction of the wicked, for the day of vengeance is in my heart. And yet the deliverance of the righteous. And the year of my my redeemed has come. Again, both taking place, both taking place simultaneously. The harvest thrust in and reaped, and the harvest thrust in a second time. The good grapes, the bad grapes, the wheat, the tares, the righteous and the wicked. Simultaneously, when he comes again, when he comes in his righteousness, when he comes in his linen garment, died in blood, comes to redeem us, comes to take us home, comes to take us to the mansions that he's preparing for us, comes to take us to the new Jerusalem and destroy the wicked. The day of his vengeance has come. The ultimate Yom Kippur, the ultimate separation. Yom Kippur, there's two goats, one for the Lord and one for the goat. Constantly throughout the scriptures we have this Cain and Abel. Throughout we have the, the good and the bad. All based on choices. Verse 5, I looked, but there was no one to help. Again, I trod alone. I looked, there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury did sustain me. There's nothing we can add. There's none good, no, not one. Isaiah says, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. So I think that's in the next chapter. I think it's in 16.4. He alone. There is no one to help. Not our own goodness. Trust not in our own self. Trust not in our own deeds. Trust not in our own goodness. Trust not in our own righteousness. 
God will not reward us because, oh, we were so good, we did this, we did that. Oh, he owes us. I was faithful. I was better than my brother or better than my sister, better than that other person, better than that person at work. I deserve it. We deserve nothing. The wages of sin is death and all of us have sinned. That's the only thing we deserve. But because of God's mercy, because of God's goodness, because of God's grace, that he gives us salvation because of his deeds, because of his righteousness. He alone. There is no one to help. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation. His arm. We can rely on him. And he is mighty to save. His arm is strong enough to uphold us all. Verse 6. I have trodden down the people in my anger and made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth. Again, judgment being made even plainer here. I just trodden the wine press, but trodden down the people in my anger. There is a day of judgment. Regardless of how this world wants to ignore it, regardless of those who try to twist the scriptures, say, oh, God just loves everything, and everything is good, and everything is right, and everything, everybody goes to heaven. There is a judgment day, and God will judge. Again, not on our good deeds, but those that have accepted his righteousness, those that have accepted his forgiveness, those that have accepted his mercy, those that have confessed their sin, those that have repented by his strength and allowed him to change us, transform us. That's the only difference between the righteous and the wicked. All of us have made mistakes, all of us have sinned, all of us have made wrong choices. The only difference is the righteous have confessed it, the righteous have accepted God's forgiveness, the righteous have accepted God's repentance, gift of repentance. The righteous have accepted God's power to change us, but it's his power and his power alone, not our power that changes us. Not our power that gives us the ability to do right when we used to do wrong. His power and his power alone. That's the only difference. Verse 7, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord Picture Isaiah now praising and speaking out. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness towards the house of Israel which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. But here it's even made plainer as we just been seeing, alone, alone, alone. Here he says, his loving kindness. A multitude of his loving kindness. His mercy, which he has bestowed. His great goodness towards us. Which again says twice, that he has bestowed. And according to all that the Lord has done. Not ourselves. Not our own. All that he has done. And Isaiah sees that and he just starts praising the Lord. 
I'll make mention. I will tell of the goodness of the Lord. God calls us to tell others. And when we receive his goodness, when we receive his forgiveness, when we receive his love, when we receive his transformation, when we receive his repentance, when we confess our sins, when we acknowledge our need of him, when we receive his mighty power, his mighty grace, and his righteousness, we will tell others. We will want to tell others. It will come bursting forth. Spring held up that just explodes and cannot be held in any longer. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord. And we won't only tell other fellow believers who already know, and that's not wrong to do that. It's sometimes good. We need to be encouraged as well. But I will go, I will tell, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord to those who don't know the loving kindness of the Lord, who haven't experienced his great goodness, who haven't experienced his mercy, who haven't experienced his multitude of his loving kindness, who are not at peace, who are weighed down with worries and fears, striving and pride and greed, push their way up the ladder, push their way through life, feigning and looking for happiness and contentment but never able to find Trusting in their own goodness. Calls us to go and share and tell and mention of the loving kindness of the Lord. And of what he has already done in our behalf. Not only to tell it, but to demonstrate it. Not only to make mention of it, but to live it out. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not lie, for he became their Savior. Our Savior. His people. He will come, he will come for his own. He will come in the year of his redemption to redeem us, to take us back home. all their affliction, he was a king. What are the multitudes of his loving kindness? What are the mercies that he has bestowed upon us? What is the great goodness that he has manifested towards us? In their affliction, he was a king. In all of our affliction, he is king. In the divine and biblical cord, between us and heaven. When we hurt, please tell Larry was telling me today his wife just had a heart patient put in this room. And nerve, it wasn't feeling good. He went to the emergency room. I said, we need to pacemaker right now. What are our other options? Don't put a pacemaker in and die, right? Or get a pacemaker right now. We'll move it right from the emergency room, right into the operating room, and put the pacemaker in. Well, now they, you take your smartphone, and you put it next to your pacemaker, and it calls the doctor, and it tells them how you're doing. 
tells if the pacemaker is working or not working, if, if your heart is good or not good. Direct link. God has a direct link to our heart. And when our heart is hurting, his heart is hurting. When our heart is rejoicing, his heart is rejoicing. In all of our afflictions, he feels all of our pain. Parents are connected with the child. The child could be all the way across the other side of the world fighting in some war. Feel the pain. God feels our pain. He feels our sorrow. He feels our grief. He knows our concerns. And he knows them just as much and more so than we know them ourselves. If we knew everything about our problems that he knew, we'd worry even that much more. <laughs> We'd have a heart attack right on the spot. <laughs> we could see how bad things really are. How many evil angels are attacking us and trying to work our woe. How many humans Satan has stirred up to wipe us out, to really bring us down, to really get us fired, to really cause heartache, to really cause problems. God also showed us how much he's working in our behalf. How many heavenly angels he has working in our behalf as well. How much he has already done. We wouldn't even care about the evil angels. We wouldn't even care about all the problems. We would like Isaiah say, I will tell of the mercies of the Lord. I will make mention of the loving kindness of our God. And nothing else will matter. When we get to heaven and look back on all the problems we've gone through, yeah, it was cheap enough. That was nothing. It was worth it all. Those various trials and struggles and problems and choices and temptations helped develop my character and bring me to the Lord and bring me to this place. It was worth it all. I wouldn't change a thing. If that's what it took God to get me here, took that problem, it took that attack, it took that betrayal, it took that heartache, it took that sorrow. And all of those sorrows to make sure that I and others are here was well worth it. Worth it all. And if I knew that, if I knew, and heaven will say if I knew now, if I knew what I knew now then, I wouldn't have complained at all. <laughs> I wouldn't have worried at all. And we can, by faith, trust that then we will look back and say, God, you were in it all. Your eyes were always on me. You never took your eyes off me. You never left me. You never forsook me. And when I was being afflicted, you really weren't doing it for me what they did to the least of your children, which I am, they did really to you. You were afflicted as well. You felt my pain. And yet you knew the end. And you knew that all things would work together for good for those who love you, 
those who are called according to your purpose. Whatever affliction you're going through right now, whatever problem you're going through now, God knows it all. And he's concerned as well. But he also has a solution that the whole world in his hands is that you and me, brother, you and me, he's in control. And he will not let Satan have it. There's no temptation, no trial, no problem. He does not have to go through him first. He will not let us be tempted beyond which he knows we are able to bear, in which he hasn't given away the spirit. He hasn't already come up with a solution for us and deliverance for us because he is our redeemer. He will redeem us from the problem. He will redeem us from the hand of the enemy. All their afflictions Good enough for him, good enough for us. He's willing to be afflicted with us. We should be willing to be afflicted with him. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. We have nothing to fear. He knows when we're afflicted. He feels the affliction instantaneously, even before we feel it. He knows the end from the beginning. He sees it coming. And the angel of his presence saves us, delivers us. His love and his pity, he redeems us. We don't have to worry about the problem. He's our Redeemer, and He loves you with an everlasting love. He's turned earth upside down for you. Turned heaven upside down for you. He turned heaven upside down for us. He turned this world upside down for us. He came down here, left heaven, turned it upside down. Shocked the angels. Came down here. Where Satan was reigning. And he turned it all back right side up. And that completes his job when he comes to make a new heavens and a new earth. He redeemed them and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Beautiful footprint. saw our boots and I saw footprints and I saw two sets of footprints. And then through the most difficult times I went through, there was only one set of footprints. Lord, where were you in those troubled times when I needed you the most? When I was afflicted, those are the times when I carried you. Those footprints weren't yours when I left you. Those prints were mine 
and if you look closely at them, they're deeper because I'm carrying you. I bore them, he bore them and carried them all the days of old. He will carry us through our problems. He will bear us on his shoulders. He will bear us on angels' wings. He will take us through the problems of this earth. He'll take us through the afflictions. He will save us. He will redeem us. The angel of his presence will go before us. The angel of the Lord will be our rear guard and go before us. The angel of the Lord will encamp around about them and deliver them. But trust in him. Whatever problem you're going, trust in the Lord. Trust in his deliverance. Trust in his salvation. Trust in him. And the survey you mentioned some problems you're going through before the service started. Lay them at his feet. They are nothing compared to him. He knows all about it. Can you trust him? Can you let go of it? He alone. pray together. You're going through some affliction. You're worried. Carrying cares. Carrying sorrow. Grieving. Stress. Troubles. I invite you to surrender the problem to the Lord. Whatever it is. There's difficulties from the past something going on in the present or the concerns for the future surrender them to the Lord trust in his mighty arm trust in his mighty power trust in his goodness you've been trusting in yourself you've been trusting in your own goodness you've been trusting in your own power trusting in your own abilities I invite you to surrender them all to him trust in him work in your behalf. The Savior. And if you haven't been bubbling over and telling others of the mercies of the Lord, if you haven't been making mention of the loving kindness of the Lord, maybe you haven't been experiencing, you haven't been receiving the loving kindness that he has bestowed, the great goodness that he has bestowed, the mercies that he has bestowed. So I invite you to receive him right now sin in your life, I'd like you to confess it. Ask for his gift of repentance. Ask for his power to change. Whatever area applies to you, turn out as you pray. Draw close to God. And he will draw close to you. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, God of gods, Lord of lords, Thank you, Lord, that even in the heavens above, as you look down, you are near and you are touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And in all of our afflictions, you're afflicted. Thank you, Lord, for knowing our hearts. Thank you for knowing our needs. Thank you for knowing our very soul. 
Thank you for being touched by it. Thank you for experiencing it with us. Thank you that we're not alone. Thank you for carrying us and bearing us and walking us through. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. We want to receive of your great loving kindness. We want to receive of the multitude of your mercies. We want to receive of your great goodness. Come, Lord Yeshua. Come in the might of your power. In Yeshua's holy name.